You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast. I'm Jake, and I want a better family. Wow. And I'm David, and, uh, yeah, I don't have a catchy phrase. You're welcome. Way to go. Yep. So we're going to be going through every episode of Malcolm in the Middle, one by one, in chronological order. So today we're going to be covering episode one, Pilot. Came out January 9th, 2000, just over 20 years ago now, which is part of why we're making this podcast. And since it's the first episode, I'm going to go through the main cast real quick. We have Frankie Muniz playing Malcolm, Brian Cranston playing Hal, Eric Pierce Sullivan playing Dewey, Justin Barefield playing Reese, Jane Kaczmarek playing Lois, and Christopher Masterson playing Francis. That is the Wilkerson family, which is the name of the family in the show. Nice. Also, I managed to make it through the entire pilot episode without catching that at all. You only know that's the in the entire series if you read Francis' name tag and his scene where he's talking to uh, Lois in this episode is the only time in the entire course of the show that their last name is seen. Because after the pilot, they decided they didn't want the family to have a name, but obviously it was too late. <laughs> right. Okay. Interesting. Good to know. Also, something that I would not have caught unless I were, you know, religiously watching this show and, I don't know, maybe watching it multiple times. Yeah, who does that? Yeah, Jake. Uh, so yeah, for reference, we have kind of an interesting spectrum here. I've seen every episode at least once before this. All of the early episodes, I've seen, like, anywhere from, like, three or four times to some of them I've probably seen a dozen times. Whereas David, I don't think, has watched the entire thing all the way through. Absolutely not. I think I've seen a total of 15 episodes before this project. And they were all later on when Frankie Muniz is much older. I forgot how old the show was until we were watching this. In fact, that was one of the things that I commented on was how young Frankie Muniz is at the start of this. He's a little baby Frankie Muniz. Yes, he is. He's little baby face. It definitely put it in perspective again as to when this started. I completely forgot. Yep. The year 2000. So we get, we get a whole season pre-9-11. <laughs> oh, joy. Maybe two. Maybe two. If the second season also airs in January, we'll get two, I guess. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if anything noticeably changes with it. Yeah. That'll be something that I'll have to keep an eye on, because I didn't even think about that, but that's... I mean, it was a huge change culturally. Oh, yeah. Now, before we get into the specifics of the episode itself, so when did you? When do you think you saw your first episode of the show? Because I saw this episode when it aired in 2000. Oh, man. Uh, they were reruns by the time I watched it. So, let's see, 2000... I would bet that I probably didn't see an episode of this show until maybe 2008. Okay. So, after it had ended. Yeah. Okay. It was a big thing in my family like around the time that it came up this and Roseanne were very big as like the two shows that were depicting you know poor white trash people like us (laughs) (laughs) oh man so true (laughs) a hundred percent of why i'm excited to this this the the family and and malcolm middle reminds me so much of my experience growing up like way more than any other show especially sitcoms having been there as like a tag along or you know a guest star to your childhood yeah no that's fair oh you're my stevie (laughs) oh fuck you (laughs) also worth noting i 
identify a lot with Malcolm, because about the time that this show came out, actually, I was a little bit younger than Malcolm and being put in the gifted program. <laughs> Slightly different in that I was put into the gifted program after I was being tested because I thought I had learning disabilities. <laughs> because my spelling and handwriting were so shitty, and still are. Yeah, I was gonna say, not were. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm glad cell phones exist. I can read your notes now. Exactly. <laughs> but moving on to the actual episode, we're going to run through sort of a quick summary of everything that happens. Uh, let me know if you want to chime in on anything, David. Uh-huh. Add any details that you think are relevant. So it opens, which every episode of Malcolm in the Middle will, uh, with a cold open. This particular one is about Malcolm complaining about his brothers, Dewey and Reese, which is also a big through line for the entire show. Then it cuts from that to the opening, where we get some They Might Be Giants, You're Not the Boss of Me, which is one of my favorite TV openings. It's pretty great. Yeah. I, I miss TV openings. Yeah. Like, specifically TV opening songs. Especially when they were good and, like, were trying to, like, be something. Yeah. Now, I, I feel like they try to tie it in too much to the show itself instead of actually, like, being a standalone thing to be like, hey, this is who we are and what this is. Now it's like... Each theme must represent what we're trying to portray in this exact moment. Yeah, I guess. But, like, e even that can work for me. I just like that, don't like that shows have gotten completely away from it. Most shows, especially sitcoms. Yeah. Which is interesting, because I think that's where it belongs the most. I Maybe. said the most. Maybe. I also like it in genre stuff. Like, I really like the opening for Misfits and Buffy. The opening for Misfits and Buffy is amazing. Yeah. But I think that it it's more suited to the sitcom style. Fair enough. Every sitcom should have a cheesy song, Correct. if nothing else. Moving on, uh, cuts from that to the three boys who are still at home, walking to school, arguing over who has to walk with Dewey, the youngest. Ah, uh, yes, the classic dilemma. Yep, and then as they're walking, they cut to what I have listed as the Francis montage of evilness, uh, which is explaining why their oldest brother, Francis, has been sent away to military school. It's Essentially, it's cut together it's very clearly him delivering the exact same speech to his parents as the background changes uh first he's being arrested then a girl is climbing out of bed getting dressed and then there's just a burning car behind him which i love the way that they handle that because he's, he's doing that and it's a station wagon you assume you know it's the family car it's on a basketball court and okay he caught the family car on fire and then malcolm very quickly clarifies as if it makes it better it wasn't even our car <laughs> uh, uh that, that's another thing we should probably mention is what one of the big things in the show is malcolm turning and talking to camera breaking the fourth wall uh, it's a big convention especially early in the series and from there dewey and malcolm see a bully picking on some kids rather creatively we go to art class which is where we really see our first uh sort of in canon instance of Malcolm being an uh, advanced student, art teachers giving him praise, which of course leads the bully to put red paint in his seat and cover his ass in red paint, as Malcolm puts it. No, he says there's red paint on my ass. Very clearly. Okay, fair enough. That leads into him meeting Caroline, who is the teacher for the Krellboys, which is the advanced class that Malcolm is going to be put into. Uh, do you know where that name comes from, David? I do not. I was very confused by that. Seymour Krellboyne is the main character of... Not Rocky Horror Picture Show. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> I know it's not that. I know that. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Ah. Uh, they're named after the main character of Little Shop of Horrors. That's so bad. 
What? It's hilarious, but that's so bad. <laughs> I feel like for a school to do that, that's just so bad. I, I don't. I feel like it's not an official name. I feel like it's definitely something that like a Krellboy named themselves, thinking it was super cool. That then everyone else calls them that out of derision. Ah, uh, yeah. And from there, we go to Malcolm's playdate with Stevie. <laughs> Best character, Stevie. Uh, well... Uh, in the entire show. Not not in the episode, necessarily. Okay. But he, he is definitely my favorite character in the show. I fucking love Stevie. And Stevie, for anyone who is listening to this uh, before watching the show, I suppose, because I know there are people who do that with these podcasts, he is a black kid with severe asthma in a wheelchair, is at this point, I think, all we know about his health. But everything he says is very stilted and slow. He has to take deep breaths between every couple words, and they use that for humor a lot. Yes, they do. After he bonds with Stevie over comic books, which is very relatable as well. (laughs) (laughs) They were even in a closet. Yeah. I I would absolutely have been friends with any kid who had that comic book collection. Oh. In grade school. Yes. uh, I assume we'll talk about it more later, but... I caught a very specific comic that I know would have definitely caught your attention uh, when we were in grade school. (laughs) From there, uh, we go back to the Wilkerson house, uh, where the boys are watching TV, being lazy, uh, while Lois is getting ready for work, mostly naked, and Caroline shows up, prompting Lois to open the door, still mostly naked. Uh, The term is topless, Jake. Well... Uh, I may have been conflating with another scene that we'll talk about in a second. (laughs) A lot of borderline nudity for a network sitcom. You're (laughs) not wrong. Also, not really borderline. True. (laughs) But basically, Caroline explains that she wants to put Malcolm in the advanced class sort of off screen after a confrontation with Lois. Then we go to a dinner scene, uh, which is another thing that's frequently in the show. And another thing that reminds me very much of my household growing up. After everyone eats and tries to run away, Lois makes them sit back down and listen while she announces that Malcolm is special and basically forces him to go into the gifted program, despite his not wanting to. Which is, again, is pretty much exactly what happened with me in elementary school when I was put in gifted classes. (laughs) Then... Ending the show, we go to Malcolm's first day as a Krellboy, sort of not fitting in with his new classmates, being embarrassed in front of his old classmates, being treated poorly because he's one of the smart kids now and no one wants to hang out with him, including Stevie, who he was shitty to. Then eventually, Spath, the bully from earlier in the episode, starts picking on him. They're going to fight. Malcolm throws some pudding in his face. Splath accidentally kind of punches Stevie. (laughs) which prompts Stevie to immediately throw himself to the ground and pretend to be badly injured, which uh, gets Spath in trouble for hitting the cripple kid, and Malcolm manages to turn around to his own benefit. He's in a wheelchair and he has glasses. Do you know how bad that looks? (laughs) Uh, The kid's reaction to it is so great. Finally, there's a little bit of a wrap-up with... Malcolm talking to the camera again about how things aren't going to be so bad after all, and it slowly pans out to reveal that the entire time he's sitting on a trash can with Dewey inside. Ah, yeah. So good. Also, reminds me of you and your older sister. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So, uh, with that, let's, uh, go to my segments that I've got prepared for us. So let's start with best line. What was your best line of the episode, David? Oh, God. So (laughs) I actually have three written down because it just kept progressively getting better as the episode went on. Uh, So I'll I'll start with, I think my number one I'll I'll just say last. But 
the the one that first took it for me is during the confrontation pre-dinner scene with uh, Lois and the uh, teacher where she's just taken aback by the fact that she's disturbed by her being completely topless in front of the door and she ends her rant with they're just boobs lady you see them in the mirror every day and yours look a lot better than mine I'm sure. (laughs) Which was funny, and probably the first, like, real big laugh of the episode that wasn't, like, super relatable to me and me just laughing at us growing up. Right. But it was quickly replaced by the dinner scene, which had two of my favorite lines of the episode now, having seen through it. And that is, they have special books and dedicated teachers and all sorts of special things that they don't want to waste on normal kids. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which, uh, you know, gives a telling look into the American education system. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> uh, and I, I thoroughly love that. And then the uh, the following comment that I also love, and I'm not really sure... Uh, I guess I like this one because you couldn't get away with saying this now on TV is why it's my number one. But the comment of, it's good to be apart from the herd. It means you aren't there when the Indians chase them all off the... or all the buffalo off the cliff. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> So my line of the episode, was you, you actually took as one of yours, uh, but I had a backup for this exact situation. <laughs> uh, but my backup is early in the episode, uh, as they're eating breakfast, when Lois, after Lois gives them a lecture about taking their legs for granted, uh, Dewey says, I don't take my legs for granted, <laughs> which leads to my best line of Lois saying, I know you're a good kid. Stop playing with yourself. Uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There is so much hinted at in this show that is just wildly inappropriate, and I don't know how ever made it onto TV, but it's done so well. And it is worth noting this came out on Fox, sort of on the heels of their, like, 90s trying to be, like, the risque channel. Uh, with stuff like The Simpsons and I'm Married with Children is the big one. Right. That, like, people were protesting and trying to get taken off of the air. Uh, so I, I feel like they're the only channel that would have aired this at that time. Fair. Yeah, I don't think that this survives anywhere else. I don't, if it came out now, it'd probably be, like, an FX show or some kind of cable show to get yeah. away with the stuff that they do. Probably. But in addition to having really good dialogue, one of the things that I love about this show is that they have a lot of very good, both visual gags and then also some just, like, really good cinematography and great visual moments which i have named based on events in a future episode the roller skating king award uh all right (laughs) for essentially the best visual moment in the episode for me it also comes actually from the same scene as my best line breakfast which the introduction of hal the father of the family (laughs) It's just him standing completely naked, reading a newspaper, while Lois shaves him. Not his face. Yes, just <laughs> his, his his body. Ah, uh, Brian Cranston, you beautiful golden god. Yes. Uh, <laughs> See, th- I-, I was in love with Brian Cranston from this show way before Breaking Bad. Well, like, for, for me, when everyone was like, oh man, I can't believe this guy is such a great actor. I was like, yeah, obviously, is Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> Yeah, I I remember talking about that a lot when we talked about Breaking Bad, and I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? But I I absolutely love Hal. I love Bryan Cranston. And just the way, like, there's some very subtle moments in this, and the moment where he throws his leg up on the table and repositions the newspaper, 
they're clearly hinting that something else is about to get shaved, and then the, instead it, like, cuts away, and then cuts back, and now she's shaving his leg. Yeah. It's, it's also worth noting when it cuts away, it cuts away to the kids who all look away horrified, but with, like, the resigned sort of horrified that you know they've seen this a thousand times. Yeah, well, it, it leads to Malcolm giving you an explanation of this happens about once a month because he has sensitive skin and his, his skin gets itchy under the clothes. Yes. It's also very relatable as a very hairy man. Uh, <laughs> so gross. <laughs> Look, another decade, I feel like I'll be as hairy as Hal is in that scene. Probably. <laughs> but you won't have hair on the top of your head, so, you know, it balances out. It's true. I do have that going for me. It's a definite bonus. That's right. One less place to shave. I suppose. <laughs> uh, so what are you giving your Roller Skating King Award to, David? Uh, so the Roller Skating King Award for me, which I don't know what is a reference to yet. Oh, you'll, uh, you'll find out in about two seasons, I think. Fair enough. Um, but it's actually for me, um, I, at first, again, this is another one not having ever seen these. It sort of evolved. But I, I would have to settle on, I really like the transition prior to the bully scene where he's sitting in the like playground area i guess the re the yard during recess or lunch or whatever it's supposed to be yeah and he's talking to the camera and he's talking about how uh being smart in his school was the same as being radioactive and he points to the camera motioning upward and then all you get is this 360 shot going down from where he's sitting and it's all of the kids are in this almost perfect circle all the way around him and then as he shifts the crowd shifts to stay away from him i i really liked that image that shot also i know how difficult those can be to do and you really in tv of this time you really didn't see a lot of that it was a really well staged shot it was really well placed um they didn't go so far out as to sort of break your ability to see what's going on, to break the connection to reality. A lot of the times, even in modern day cinematography, when they do that, they don't pay attention to what's in the background. And you see some stuff that sort of can take you out of the setting. They did a really good job of actually setting that shot up. And the synchronicity of all these children as he moves, them moving and adjusting, I was actually really impressed with yeah, that. Yeah, the, the cinematography in this show is very good like not not even like it's good for a sitcom like it it's super good cinematography for tv period especially for the 2000s that's oh, yeah. crazy yeah no i i definitely was not watching anything with that like if i go back and watch other stuff when, from when i was 10 11 years old it does not look the same way that this show does yeah uh and you you can see a lot of its dna in later sitcoms like especially scrubs is one that i think of a lot oh, God, so, yeah. like if you watch an episode of malcolm in the middle and scrubs back to back like you you can see scrubs taking from this show a lot yeah uh i could see that a lot just from the first episode yeah um so i can only imagine as it goes on and evolves and creates its own style which was cool to see and then the other one that i i think deserves an honorable mention but i i didn't like it as much the uh transition prior to that scene where it goes from him being in his regular class to the the new Krellboyne yep, Krellboy. uh, class where he puts his hand over his face and then he doesn't move but you see the background sort of shift but you only see it through the lighting which I thought was really cool they they shifted the lighting on his face to tell you that the scene had shifted and then you started to follow that up with sounds 
which then gave the viewer the realization of, oh, we've changed location without ever actually changing anything on Frankie Muniz's face or his reactions or anything like that. And then he was allowed to react to the scene. I really like those kind of transitions. I like the subtle clues. Uh, I like being told a story, but I don't like a TV show feeling like someone is reading it to me. Right. Let me figure it out. Yeah, it's really good visual storytelling. I also like that scene a lot thematically uh, because he initially covers his face because uh, his original art class, everyone is staring at him. And then when it does transition to the new class, it's all the Krell boys also staring at him. Really creates the, the idea that he, he's lost his old world and he also doesn't fit into his new one. Yep. On to uh, the next couple sort of interrelated <laughs> segments. Uh, I have... Best son, and I have shittiest son. <laughs> uh, yes. Which, uh, now in some of the future episodes, <laughs> I feel like it's going to be a lot harder a lot of the time to come up with a quote-unquote good son. Fair enough. <laughs> so who did you have for your best son? Uh, I mean, Dewey, clearly. Uh, we are in agreement. Yeah, that child is an angel and should be protected from all of the hell going on around him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's that's a pretty good assessment of Dewey overall. <laughs> uh, but he even when he does shitty stuff later, he's never quite as awful as the other three. <laughs> I, I do love the scene, though, where his brothers are fighting and wrestling, and he's got the foam bat, and he's just following behind them, just whacking them with it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Dewey's great. M Malcolm is the one that I relate to the most, but Dewey is definitely my favorite of the kids. Yeah, that's fair. And who did you have for worst son, which I feel will also be... <laughs> so this is actually a tie for me between Malcolm and Francis. Interesting. Yes, because Malcolm is a piece of shit. Oh, yeah. Malcolm's uh, a huge piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he is ungrateful. Yep. He's disobedient. Yep. He also was really mean to Stevie. For no real reason other than being a douchebag, which I don't like. And, you know, just all-around general shitty person. Also, he trapped Dewey, the angel, in a trash can. To be fair, that is funny. Oh, it was funny. <laughs> but, bad. Listen, I've been on both sides of that equation <laughs> growing up, and I think it's fine. <laughs> Look, I didn't say Malcolm should be punished or sent to military school for it. I'm just saying, overall, shitty person. I mean, fair, but I feel like Francis is definitely the shittiest kid in this episode. But, I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe. You don't know. It's implied. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Look, he may have stolen someone else's car and lit it on fire. Maybe. They don't say he stole it. Maybe he borrowed a friend's and lit it on fire. But look, regardless, he's clearly changing his ways, and he's doing so great in the military academy. Wow. <laughs> uh, no, uh, Francis is a piece of shit, too. Uh, Malcolm is two years away from just being Francis at this point. No, I feel like they're very different types of shitty. You're right. I, I think part of it is yeah, having knowledge of the rest of the series, but like Stevie is also Malcolm's best friend. And Stevie is absolutely as much a piece of shit as Malcolm is, but we don't really see it yet in this episode, which I feel like gives me a little bit more leeway with how he treats Stevie in this episode. Right, you're using future knowledge. I get to take this episode as the capsule that it is and view it for what it is. Malcolm is tied with Francis in shittiness in my book. Okay, fair enough. The last uh, segment that I have, which I have named OK Boomer, 
because the creator of the show is named Linwood Boomer. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, and this is sort of looking for a timestamp that sets the show in its era. For instance, you could have absolutely used the uh, running the buffalo off the cliff line as this segment. I would have counted that. A joke that could have been made on TV today. Fair enough. Good to know for future reference. Uh, or any sort of like pop culture reference or anything along those lines. Which uh, mine is definitely in the pop culture reference realm. Shocking. It's uh, in the scene in Stevie's room when they're looking at his uh, comic book collection and they bring up a comic that I vaguely remember specifically the issue of Savage Dragon (laughs) in which he gets split in two into two different Savage Dragons (laughs) which Malcolm follows with the line uh, I like Savage Dragon because he never has to learn his lesson he just beats people up (laughs) which is one a very correct assessment of image comics of that era and to a great slam on image comics of that era. You're not wrong. I, I really, really like that. Also, the interesting moment uh, and one of the sort of timestamps for me was, did you notice the spawn issue Yep. Uh, in the lower right section of the ones hanging on the door? Uh, I saw that and I went, I'm pretty sure around, of course, I thought this show was a little bit older, but around the time that they would have been filming this show, that was the issue of Spawn that you and I were working through reading while taking turns playing video games at your house. <laughs> so that put that show perfectly in time for me. Okay, nice. <laughs> because I recognized that cover immediately. And I had to go back to make sure I wasn't just like inputting my childhood memories onto it. Right. Because I saw a lot of them that I thought I recognized and when I slowed the the show down and went backwards, I actually there were there were less that I recognized. Um, and I definitely was just sort of putting that into perspective. But yeah, no, that that is the exact issue of Spawn, the very first issue of Spawn, by the way, that I ever read. Okay. And so between that and then the other thing that I have is uh, Better Days by the Citizen Kings playing at the end. It, that was a song that I heard oh so much oh, in yeah. the late 90s, early 2000s. Yep. It is a quintessential 90s song. Yes. Uh, It is also worth noting that is actually the song that closes out the last episode of the series as well. Interesting. Because that's, it ended in what, 2007? Uh, I believe so, yeah. And uh, I know Better Days came out in 99. That sounds right. So it it did. uh, 99. So I also have a few pieces of trivia, but we've actually covered pretty much all of them going through this. The only two that we haven't, uh, one is that the show is actually based on Ledwood Boomer's childhood, sort of. It's like a modernized version of his childhood, essentially. Oh, nice. Uh, Because he also was put into a gifted class against his will Ah. uh, as a child in a large family of all sons who were uh, lower class and overall pretty shitty people. Yeah, I gotta say, I can't really relate to that. I mean, like, again, I'm the guest star in your childhood for this i'm definitely if they have a cousin later who gets his ass kicked by one of them you know that's me they do have cousins later that are like slightly higher class but you're gonna be really offended because they're canadian oh fuck you <laughs> you're the canadian cousin david i mean maybe uh god i hate that parallel can we not i guess for you it wasn't a canadian uh, cousin it was the jewish cousin yeah yeah, yeah. same thing you're welcome what fuck you <laughs> Wow. But I I will say, I'm not going to spoil it. You better not. Because it's a big reveal. But I think you'll be pleased very much with one of the cast members who plays a member of that family. Fair enough. (laughs) 
Jesus, Jake. Uh, you completely threw me off my group with that comparison. <laughs> but the only other thing that I didn't cover that I have for trivia is that this is the second most successful first episode of a show in Fox history. That had 23 million people watch it uh, in its opening day. Wow. Uh, and this episode won Emmys for both writing and directing. I can see that. Yeah. It was very well done. Is there anything else that you want to cover, David? We're supposed to go over who our most liked character for the oh, episode yeah. is. Oh, yeah, right. Way to go. Uh, and mine is Lois. Interesting. I Most of the lines that made me really laugh really loud in this episode came from her. And also, again, it's just that sort of down-to-earth, like, fuck you, fuck what you think, I'm gonna do me and, and get things done, and this is what it takes to get this shit done sort of attitude. I really love that. I think it makes for a lot of awkward but also hilarious uh, moments. Yeah, she is my favorite character for this episode. Okay. I actually think Lois is, like, a super underrated character. So, uh, it's interesting that would be your choice for the first step, so I did not go with her for this one, though. Oh, yeah? Uh, my favorite character in the episode is Francis, mostly just based on that initial montage. Just the, the delivery is so perfect, and it's such a great way to show just how shitty Francis is in one contained scene. Without, yeah, I, I do like that. You've got a whole backstory on why he's at a military boot camp type deal without them taking up really much of the show's time at all. And you're talking about something with, what, 23 run, twenty-three minutes of runtime, Yep. Something all around that. And they spent, realistically, what, a minute, maybe two, on Francis? But I know exactly the course of actions that led to him getting sent. Yeah, and just the fact that it's very clearly the, the, the same practiced speech that he's giving for every <laughs> single one of these situations is just so funny to me. And, and such a great way to introduce that character. Yeah, it was pretty great also i have seen again about 15 episodes of the show much later on so it's interesting to me to see that as how he's introduced compared to where he's at later on in the future and be like oh okay so that's just who he is right <laughs> i was expecting maybe a descent into madness no they just start with him being that yeah no if anything francis probably becomes better fairly consistently through the show from like a you know ethical level fair enough with maybe the exception of the first season or two <laughs> he still does some shitty stuff in the future oh though. yeah absolutely <laughs> i will say we don't get to see a lot of reese in this episode i feel like he's the one character that we don't really get a handle on at all from the pilot yeah he's just the older brother i mean he's the stereotype in this episode yeah. Like, no, it's not my turn. You get the subtle lines of Malcolm being like, look, I, I did it last time and the time before that. And the older brother of going, yeah, but I did it that one time when it was real bad. So, I mean, he, he has these little things that sort of establish him as the stereotype of the older brother and that typical older sibling of, you know, yeah, they make him do stuff and blah, 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 and all those things that it, everyone knows. But you really don't get to see anything of him past that. Yeah, he, he doesn't really have a character in this episode, uh, which I, I honestly didn't remember going into this. 
Uh, so I'll, I'll have to keep an eye on see when he really solidifies into the Reese that I know and love and hate because Jesus, he does some stuff. Again, having seen some of the things that I have, uh, I'm interested to see if it's a slow like buildup that they have him do stuff like that, or if just you know one day he's suddenly charging a ton of money on credit cards, cutting them up, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Right? Yeah, setting the neighbor's house on fire. You know. <laughs> Well, (laughs) (laughs) don't tell me. (laughs) I want to be pleasantly surprised, Jacob. Fair enough. (laughs) Is there anything else that you want to say? Uh, No, between you and I, we've actually hit everything from this episode that I wanted to talk about. Uh, It was a lot of fun. Uh, I can see why it won so many awards and why it was such a great pilot. I don't know that there's any show from this era that you could show me and I would enjoy watching now. I feel like a lot of 2000 shows and and things like that, anything around this time that isn't super iconic if you didn't if you showed it to me, I it would leave something wanting. Television and cinematography and everything has increased in quality so much in the last decade or two that we really to look at this and still be like that was enjoyable and i didn't mind it like that's that's a huge benchmark for me because again like i said there's there's not a lot of things from that era that you could show me and i would be like okay this is this is watchable it would generally result in me making fun of it most of the time fair enough that is probably my favorite sitcom from this era coming to think about it and we'll see as the show goes on but based on the pilot if it remains that good it will probably be my favorite of that decade because i cannot think of many sitcoms in the 2000s that i actually enjoyed yeah fair enough it it might be my favorite of the decade i would have to look and see when because i think raising hope came out after 2010 didn't it i think so yeah i'm pretty sure because i'd have to look at that because i really like that one yeah it's also Uh, another show that i think shares a lot of dna with malcolm in the middle it does Uh, less visually but more like the, the the characters and the writing and the family dynamic yeah, uh, also the close-knit while also being this sort of internal to- internal turmoil, if I could speak. It very much so feels reminiscent of just that first episode. The, the, the subtle ways of introducing how shitty they are while also just being like, hey, these are just normal folks. It, it's interesting. Maybe we'll have to talk about that at a, at a point, how Raising Hope and Malcolm in the Middle are very similar. Yeah, maybe if we ever do a bonus episode, we'll do that. Right compare the arcs well i think that wraps this episode up then thanks for joining us and tune in next time when we'll be watching episode two red dress i can only imagine what it's referring to or how terrible it's going to be i will say (laughs) the reason i made that face when you mentioned fire earlier is because of the next episode nice I like watching things burn. Alright, thanks for listening, everyone. Bye! Hey guys, this is Jake coming back after the podcast recording to uh, say a few things that we forgot to say in our first episode, Jitters. Uh, So first of all, I wanted to credit Todd Holland as the director of the pilot episode of Malcolm Middle and Linwood Boomer as the writer of the episode. Uh, We want to credit the writer and director of every episode as we go through just to sort of help look for uh, directorial and writing trends. Some information that we didn't have yesterday that we do now is we're on Twitter. You can find us at unfair underscore podcast on Twitter if you have any questions or comments or whatever. Thanks for listening, and remember, life is unfair.